guys. Good to see you. Um, I want to show you a, a picture this morning. Some of you who uh, are a bit older here might recognize it right away. Younger people, I'll be surprised, but um, you know this guy? Jim Jones. The name familiar? Yeah, we're getting some, oh, in the 40-plus crowd, but um, under 40. you have any idea who Jim Jones is? That's all right. Let me tell you. Okay. Jim Jones is a self-proclaimed religious and political leader. What Jim Jones is most noted for is something called the Jonestown Massacre. And uh, it was 1978, and, and basically what happened is this guy rallied 909 people with him in a town called Jonestown, and together they committed mass suicide. Now, among the 909, about 300 are estimated to be children. And as the story goes, as I've read it, what basically went down is that he and this, this group that he was leading called the People's Temple were trying to find asylum and, 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 and political refuge in the Soviet Union at the time. But because of some recent murders that the group had been involved in, um, the Soviet Union left him high and dry. They cut him loose. And so what Jim Jones did is he convinced the 900 people that were gathered with him that the Americans were going to come and kidnap their children and brutalize them and brainwash them and turn them into fascists and rape them and kill them and that it would be far better to just kill themselves. And the method they did it with is uh, this. Not really, actually. It was Flavor Aid. What they did is they took grape-flavored Flavor-Aid, and they laced it with a sedative, and they laced it with cyanide, and they gave it to the parents to give to their children to drink. And then the parents did as well, and 909 people committed mass suicide that, that November day in 1978, with Jim Jones finally taking his own life right on the cusp. Now... Where it gets significant for where we're going today is the way that this event has branded itself in pop culture. And, and you know this, but forevermore after that event, things like this, the mindless buying in of something has forevermore been known as what? Drinking the Kool-Aid, right? Drinking the Kool-Aid. Have you drunk the Kool-Aid? And in the spirit of this, this, this talk that we're doing these, these several weeks, this you know, the straight talk, what pastors don't preach, um, i got to be straight up with you. I see a lot of people who continue to drink the Kool-Aid. And the Kool-Aid I'm not talking about is a cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. But it's a Kool-Aid that is any bit as spiritually deadly what happened to these people with uh, Jim Jones about 40 years ago. There is this Kool-Aid Christianity that is out there that I find so many people so eager to sip when all the while it's lacing something potentially deadly. And, and that's what I want to talk to you about today, this, this, this Kool-Aid Christianity. Um, you know what the danger of this stuff is? People like it. You know, they didn't lace broccoli with cyanide to give to the kids, right? 
The danger of something like Kool-Aid is people like it. Kool-Aid is fun, right? You've seen the commercials? I, was, uh, I spent some time this week kind of doing like some YouTube trolling, and uh, I didn't realize this, but guys, do you know that the Kool-Aid man goes all the way back to black and white? I mean, like in the 1960s, there's like the Kool-Aid man, and, and you, got, you remember the slogan, right? What was Kool-Aid man? Oh, yeah, right? I'd like you to turn to your neighbor right now and give him an, oh, yeah. It's that or Macho Man Randy Savage, one of the two, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I mean, Kool-Aid Man, I mean, the, the commercials, they're fun. I mean, what, what is every Kool-Aid commercial about since, like, 1962? Here we are, and we see this group of white, middle-class children oppressed by their t- parents and stuffy teachers under the thumb of doing chores and stuffy classrooms and things like that, and what happens in every commercial? Kool-Aid man comes busting in, right? He comes busting in and parties start breaking out and people start throwing gallons of Kool-Aid on each other, which really, if someone did that to you, I mean, come on, come on. Does that sound like fun? And, and through his sheer power and might and gravitas, the Kool-Aid man overthrows the oppression of parents and teachers everywhere and there is great rejoicing among preteens. Far and wide. You know what I mean? You've seen the commercials, right? Kool-Aid is fun. Kool-Aid is fun. It wouldn't be dangerous if it wasn't fun. It's fun. And you know what? It, it, it tastes good. It tastes good. Um, you've had this stuff, right? You drink it. It's like, huh, I want another glass of that. And I want another glass of that. And before you know it, you're mixing like five of these in a day going, I shouldn't have done that, Right? Have you ever actually read the nutritional content, though, <laughs> on a, in a Kool-Aid jar? I, I, I got one here that I want to read. Um, I, I'm going to read you the nutritional content. This comes off of, let me see here. This is off of um, the Kool-Aid Mad Scientists. Okay, huh, that's funny. Um, the Mad Scientists, the wild watermelon kiwi, because if you're going to go Kool-Aid, why not? Um, Serving size, eight fluid ounces. Okay, really? I'm sorry, that's a serving size. This is not a serving size. Eight fluid ounces. What I'd like to do today is is read to you the nutritional content in one serving size of of Kool-Aid. Here we go. Calories, zero. Potassium, zero. Dietary fiber, zero. Protein, zero. Sodium, zero. Vitamin A, zero. Calcium, zero. Iron, zero. Fat, zero. Percent daily values are based on a 2,000 calorie diet. It tastes sweet. It doesn't do anything for you, right? This stuff doesn't do anything for you. And yet people love to drink it. Now, the, uh, think about this. The New Testament will often describe life with the metaphor of a race. Have you seen this? Um, 
And it'll often talk about life as a race. And it'll couch it in terms that this race we call life is, is more grueling than any ultramarathon that you could ever possibly conceive. Let me show you this one place where Paul is talking about this. And he, and he writes, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get like a little, like they call it a crown, a, a, a gold medal, a ribbon, a trophy. But we do it in this race called life to get a crown that'll last forever. And I love what Paul says. So what am I going to do? I want to run it well. I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. I love this last line. I beat my body. I make it my slave. How might he say it today? I train, and I train, and I train, because I know that this race called life, it's going to demand all of me. It's a race that's grueling, that is going to tax every ounce of strength and endurance that I can muster. And I want you to imagine this morning trying to sustain yourself through an ultramarathon on Kool-Aid. Zero calories. Zero protein. Zero vitamins or minerals. We got any runners here? Triathletes here? Long distance endurance? Would this work, people? Those of you who I'm speaking to? You would find yourself flat. How much more in this thing called life, filled with struggle and challenge and failure and suffering and evil that is going to push you to the extreme and demand all of you? And I, I never cease to be amazed at people that try to run the race based on a Kool-Aid Christianity. Um, this is what it reminds me of. Um, those of you my age and older, you remember this Saturday Night Live? Um, you remember back in the 70s, John Belushi era, there was a, a commercial he did called Little Chocolate Donuts. You remember this one? For those of you under 40, it, it, it's just time to get educated in the classics. So uh, um, just, just watch this for a minute, okay? John Belushi is on his way to a gold medal in the decathlon. They're setting the bar at seven feet. Here's his approach. And he's got it! Belushi's won the gold. Now he's going for the world's record. He's making his move. They're in the final turn. He's kicking it in. He's got it! I logged a lot of miles training for that day, and I downed a lot of donuts, little chocolate donuts. They taste good, and they've got the sugar I need to get me going in the morning. That's why little chocolate donuts have been on my training table since I was a kid. Little chocolate donuts, the donuts of champions. And, and I know so many people, so many believers, so many Christians, who are doing that exact same thing, who are trying to embrace life's race on a pseudo-version of Christianity, a, a Kool-Aid Christianity, a chocolate donut Christianity that tastes so sweet 
but cannot sustain. I tell you, it's great if the greatest feat in life you have to do is walk to your fridge. But if you have to run the race called life, Kool-Aid Christianity is going to fail you. Now, there's this cool story. It's in the middle of the Gospel of John. And um, Jesus, he goes to, to one of these, these gigantic feasts, seven major feasts in the Jewish calendar, when everyone would converge in Jerusalem. And he goes to this one particularly big feast. You've got to think like Mardi Gras big here. And it says, in the middle of the feast, on the biggest and greatest day of the feast, he does what, well, we'd expect any kind of person to do. He stands up in the middle of it and shouts out in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So not quite normal there. But he shouts out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And I know so many people who have been thirsty in life, who have been spiritually thirsty, and they've taken such hope in comfort and solace and in words like these. But I've also met so many people who when they come to Jesus, they expect him to taste like Kool-Aid. And what I gotta tell you here today is there's nothing further from the truth. So what is this Kool-Aid Christianity kind of thing? Let me start by just sharing some ways it pops its head. Symptomatic signs of it, if you will. Here's one. It's the Christianity that kind of says, it operates on the premise, what's in it for me? It's the version of Christianity that goes something like, God will make my life better. God might make me happy. God will bring me goodness and prosperity and wholeness and all these, these, all these things. It's, it's this, what's in it for me? And it sounds really good on the surface, doesn't it? This amazing God who's filled with grace, who gives his spirit and wisdom to life and strength and power and redemption. Who doesn't want to drink something sweet like that? But what happens is it often starts coming out in, in all kinds of little, little ways, little symptom ways where, where people will talk about, you know, I just, I love spending time with God because I just feel so good when I do. I feel so filled up inside. I feel so just, ah, right? You can always almost hear the Kool-Aid kid smacking his lips. The people who, like, you know, come to church, it's like, you know, I come because, man, I just come and my batteries get recharged and, man, it just, I feel so good when I come out of this place. I feel so, so filled. It's, 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 and it easily starts digressing into this idea that, that God and his people equals friends and entertainment. And I think of the warnings the scriptures give. I think of this one time, this guy named Paul, he's writing to this, this pastor named Timothy, and he's kind of giving him this, like, how do you handle it? And he writes this, the time's going to come when people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they're going to suit their own desires. They're going to gather around them people to tell them what they want to hear. Tell them the good things. Tell them it's going to be all right. Tell them, tell them all the things that taste sweet. But when life's struggles come, prove themselves to be empty and vacuous and with the inability to sustain. And, and I know so many, 
so many church leaders and so many churches and, and well-meaning people that, that kind of find themselves almost forced to capitulate into this. It, it, it's like being the parent of a three-year-old, you know, who will only eat hot dogs and McNuggets. And it's like you resign yourself as a parent and go, well, at least they're eating something, right? And, and I think like what the, the writer to the Hebrews says, warning his people, going, guys, there's so much we want to tell you about this race called life. Stuff to get you ready. But it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. You need milk, not solid food. And he encourages them, leave. It's time to leave milk behind and go on to maturity. I kind of think that if he wrote it today, he would almost say something like, guys, you got to stop drinking the Kool-Aid. And I want to appeal to you. I want to appeal to you and say that if what the sum total of this is for you is some kind of therapy or self-help plan, a secret to success or a time to gather with friends, if what this is to you kind of apexes at SNL videos in church, rock on, right? May I just say you may be guilty of, well... A little bit of that pops its head up in other ways, too. Um, sometimes I see it the opposite way. It, it's the, uh, oh, that's sweet. How do I phrase this? It's the I'm not that thirsty kind of way. I'm not that thirsty. I'm good enough. My life is fine. Thank you very much. It's the kind of, of Christianity that says, Give me just enough Jesus, just enough to fit into my life, but not so much that I have to fit into his. It's kind of Christianity that's devoid of any real hunger or thirst for righteousness, any desire for real change or transformation. And, and you see it with people, you always kind of get, you know, the, the kind of just, just leave me alone, keep me in my safe zone, just, just keep me right there. And, 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 and I got to tell you too, in the spirit of straight talk, um, it always catches church workers by surprise. Maybe you go here to FOF, maybe you go somewhere else. It's universal. It always catches us by surprise. You know, pouring yourself into these things where it's like, man, what? people get a chance to grow and, and discover these new aspects of their faith and pour themselves in. And it's like, oh, they're, not, they're not really interested. They're not they're kind of, you know, I got other stuff going on, I'm busy. You know, all those kinds of things, which is really just kind of like spiritual elbows being thrown of, Good, I'm safe. Stay away. And, and again, I got to appeal to you. We forget. We forget sometimes where some of you are at. And what you need to do at times is just say to us, Jesus is not my life. And it's okay to say that because at least it's honest. And at least we go, oh, no, I see where you're at. Milk. A solid food. Have some Kool-Aid. Here's a, a third way. I see Kool-Aid Christianity kind of manifest itself. It packages itself with a few different faces, but it's all kind of in the, the, the prism here of disillusionment with God, disappointed with God, angry with God, not talking to God. 
Giving God kind of the cold shoulder because we don't like how he performed on something or we don't like how he left us hanging on something or we don't like that he didn't deliver on something. And there's this, this internal just kind of <sighs> with him as though, of course, we're in some kind of mutual partnership with him like he's entitled to us on anything, right? I was talking to this guy um, a while back and he, he just found out he, he had cancer. And, you know, I mean, he was... He was shaken, and the dust was settling in this, and we were talking through it, and, and, and there was this amazing moment of honesty that he had, that I appreciated so much, and he said, and I remember because of the words, I feel like I've been drinking Kool-Aid my entire life, drinking Kool-Aid, you know, I come and sing songs to kind of pet me up, and life's going to be okay, and I'm like, dude, if that's what you think it is, you have... And I remember what he said. He, he was like, I don't care about God's grand cosmic plan with me. I don't care about how God's trying to mold me for his eternal purposes. I just want to be happy. Oh, man, I get where he's coming from, don't you? But does it reveal something? Do we sometimes come to God like a smug mom reprimanding her husband or six-year-old kids going, I'm so disappointed in you. Like God owes us anything. Kool-Aid Christianity, it pops its head in a number of ways. And if you're hearing any of this and, and kind of going, oh, I think I've fallen victim to some of this. Guys, I'm just here to tell you, you may have drunk the Kool-Aid. Because Kool-Aid Christianity is a Christianity that makes it about me. Kool-Aid Christianity is what is God going to do for me? How does God make my life better? How does God make my needs, my feelings, my wants, first and foremost? It's a Christianity of entitlement, that somehow God is entitled to me, owes me, that God is required to save me and rescue me and deliver me. It is a form of Christianity that might not be laced with cyanide, but has been shown to give cancer in laboratory rats in 10 years. And it's just as insipid as what Jim Jones gave that day. It is a saccharine-based pseudo Christianity that tastes sweet and gives clever maxims and anecdotes that seems to tidy up life's issues until life's issues actually become life's issues and it proves itself to be empty and vacuous and unsustaining for the soul. It is spiritual poison. And guys, if you're seeking Christ, coming to God, exploring Christianity because you think it will make your life better. Coming to it with an approach of, oh, how will this make my life better? I just got to be straight. You might be up for disappointment because Christianity and a relationship with Jesus is more about blood than it is about Kool-Aid. I, uh, I was reading the story. Um, it was about Vikings. Cool already, right? Um, story about Vikings who, who waylaid and enslaved an Irish monk. And the story is about his time with them and his journey with them. And 
Through the course of their time together, these, these pagan Vikings started to see something in this Irish monk. Something in him and his God, in the Latin, Jesu, as they would call it, or Jesus. His God, Jesus, that started to become very appealing to them, very interesting to them, very curious to them. And, and, and the story is this, this progression of them, them growing in that way. And it comes to a place where they're at the precipice and they're starting to go under, is this God the God for me? Is this the God to whom I'll give my loyalty? Should I follow a God like this? And they ask him, if we're to do this, will, will that mean we'll be invincible in battle? Does that mean we're going to be lucky in all of our, our affairs? And I love his answer. It was basically this, um, no. No, in fact, by following this God, it might even make your life much, much harder because a relationship with Jesus has more to do with blood than Kool-Aid. It's about faith. But not faith in the way that most people think about faith today. You hear faith, what do you think, right? Like, I believe, you, I believe in you. I believe you exist. Yeah, I say, this God is real. What's said about him is true. Cool. Guys, do you realize God does not give a rip if you believe in his existence or not? He doesn't want your acknowledgement of his existence. He wants your loyalty. Because that's what faith is. Faith is faithfulness. Loyalty, it comes out even better in the Latin, fidelis. You ever hear the Marines? What's their slogan? Semper fi, semper fidelis. What does it mean? Always faithful. Is it, I always believe that the Marines exist and I acknowledge their existence in this world? No, it's always faithful, always loyal, obedient. Willing to go, willing to die, willing to follow, willing to throw my lot in whatever the cost. That's what Jesus embraced for you and me, and that's what he invites us into as well. Not just some idea of his existence, a pledge of loyalty. To say, you're God, and I'm not. And it doesn't have to go anywhere beyond that. Your God and not, I'm not, so here I am, my loyalty to you. A loyalty based in gratitude. Gratitude to one who, who gave his life for you, daily provides for you, continues to watch and protect you. Gratitude of saying, here is my life back for you who gave your life to me. A sacrifice of, of love to one who loves you. And even if you don't love him very much, still loyalty to the king. You get what I mean? You know, I, uh, I think about this, and I think of the irony of it on top of it. The irony that uh, the loyalty and the obedience that Christianity is called to be is loyalty to one who loves you so much that he was willing to pay a price that cost him dearly. I want you to think about this for a minute. I was thinking about this whole Kool-Aid Christianity thing in, in light of what God has done for us. And, 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 and what came to mind for me is the movie Schindler's List. Are you familiar with it? For those of you who aren't, um, about 10, 15 years ago, I want to say it came out, um, it's about a, a German living in Nazi Germany named Schindler. 
Now, if you watch it, it's in black and white, and you might think it's older, but it's really not. And, and what the story is about is this German in Nazi Germany named Schindler who is basically doing everything in his power without being found out to try to save as many Jews as possible from Nazi torture and extermination. He's buying them. He's bribing people for them. He's trying to expand his businesses to, to, the, to the cost of himself in bankruptcy to employ them, to protect them, and get as many Jews under his wings as he possibly can. Now, you come to the end of the movie, and the Allies have invaded Germany. The tides have turned, and now the Jews are about to be set free. In Schindler, a Nazi is about to go on, on the run, go on the run as a war criminal for his life. And the clip I'm about to show you is that final moment as he's saying goodbye to those 1,100 Jews that he rescued. Take a look. I didn't. 
I think of this God who paid so much to purchase our salvation and whose heart breaks and weeps for every soul not saved. And I think of this this me-centered Kool-Aid Christianity. And I wonder how those two would converge in a movie like Schindler's List. I wonder how the ending would have gone differently. I mean, can you imagine being there watching this movie? And at the end, the Jews who are gathered around, instead of embracing him going, get up, Schindler, you crybaby. You should have done more. You should have made my life happy. Why did I have to endure these three years? Can you imagine someone coming out of the theater? Wow, man, that was really heavy. I like came here to laugh. Can you imagine the Kool-Aid man busting out in the middle of that scene going, oh, yeah. Wouldn't that have violated something precious and dear and substantive and important? Guys, there's something so much more than Kool-Aid. There's something so much more. And while it doesn't always taste as sweet, it is ultimately satisfying to the soul. It is nourishing in ways that this drink never can be. God has done something in blood, not Kool-Aid. And he invites you to obedience, to loyalty, to commitment, to hunger for him and deeper things, to hunger for his way, even in struggle and suffering, to trust him as vacuous cliches evaporate away. Christianity is about blood. Anything less is Kool-Aid. Mira, we're going to commune. We're going to come and drink blood. Kool-Aid. Jesus paid an awful price for each and every one of us here, and he invites us with the words, come follow me. He invites us to come, to take up our cross, to seek his way, and follow him. Welcome to the table of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. After supper, he took a cup, he gave thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, and I shed it for you. For the forgiveness of all of your sins, come and do this, and remember me. I invite you to rise, and uh, prepare your hearts, and pray this, this ancient prayer along with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth.